0: This month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month. They are each one to take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's household, a lamb for each household. Now if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them, according to what each man should eat. You are to divide the lamb. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old, and you may take it from the sheep or from the goats. And you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Let's pray together. Holy Father, I pray that you would shed light on these words this morning. So we look again, Lord, at the story of the Passover, and at the institution of this interesting and intricate feast. Fathers, we consider the things written in your book. May we be enlightened by them, drawn closer to you because of them. May we, Father, just fall in love with you all over again, as we sense your Spirit teaching us through these words. And Holy Spirit, we do ask that you be our teacher. We ask this every time we get together, that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive the things that you, Lord, want us to receive. God, I thank you so much for this fellowship of people and for the love of Jesus that we share, for the love of your word that we share, and just again, Father, for the opportunity for us to be together in your word today. Bless this time, dear Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen the Passover a feast a very special feast now how was your feast by the way how was your Thanksgiving anyone still stuck? anyone walking a little more slowly finding it a little more difficult to stand up when you've been sitting a little while I'll tell you what, when I was a kid, Thanksgiving was awesome. I loved it. And I could eat all day long, non-stop. I'd have the big feast and go play and come back and have the second big feast and go play and come back and third and fourth and fifth. And this year, I'm telling you, it's killing me. It is killing me. And then it's wiping me out. It's very tasty, but it's killing me. What does that have to do with the message this morning? Nothing. I'm just sharing. Just telling you how I'm feeling. I still feel full. Well, this morning I hope that we really will fill up on God's word. That you'll feast your eyes on the Passover. To try and understand it even more. I wanted to do about half the chapter this morning and do the rest of it on Wednesday night. And as I got studying and as I got looking into these things, I got six verses in and realized there's no way we could do more than six verses this morning. There is just too much here. And that's the wonder of God's word. There is always so much more than we understand, than we recognize. And the Passover itself is such a precise and perfect portrait of Jesus that to move quickly through it and and miss some of it would be tragic. Line by line, as we recognize and understand this feast, as we read through and watch what they did, we will understand and see Jesus in a new and amazing way. More amazing than the birds up behind me. You're doing it again. I love this you know I, I, I told the, the band we were rehearsing a couple couple weeks back or the last time I rehearsed and, and I may have shared this with some of you but what a really funny thing to do to either a pastor or a teacher in school or in college or whatever is get the whole class together and just tell everybody listen about halfway through his teaching time just start doing this <laughs>
1: You know, and you get five, six people doing that, and it throws
0: a guy. Seriously. You yeah, guys me think of that, because you're all going. Well, Paul, am I? 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, Paul wrote, Even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. He says Christ is our Passover And I want that phrase to get emblazoned in your minds this morning Christ our Passover Because Christ is the meaning of the Passover Christ is the entire point of the Passover God doesn't do things just by happenstance He doesn't create these speech He doesn't give these laws He doesn't do these things just on a whim Well I think, you know I'm going to pull the people of Israel out So let's have a party That's not what it was about God was drawing a picture, painting a portrait early on so that you and I would have the benefit as we look back at these things of seeing Jesus, of understanding God's intention to save us even back then. God gave Israel the Passover, sure, as a memorial of their redemption from Egypt, but He gave us the Passover as a testimonial of our redemption for all of eternity. And this morning as we look at these six verses, folks, I want us to walk slowly, again, through the Passover to understand it in maybe a way we hadn't before. But I discovered something in these few verses that impressed me. There's another verse in Scripture that works for our outline this morning. I'm going to give you three major points in these six verses, and all three of these points are touched on in one verse later on in Scripture. And I love when this happens. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth, and the life. and No man comes to the Father but through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in those three things, you have your outline for our study this morning, for these first six verses. Jesus said, I am the way. So number one, you may want to jot down if you're note-taking, Christ our Passover determines direction. Christ, our Passover, determines direction. Jesus said, I am the way. He determines our direction. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year to you. Originally this month was called Abib. It was the seventh month in the Hebrew calendar year. And after the Babylonian captivity, it was changed to the month of Nisan, which is still called today in Israel. But in this seventh month of the year, God now makes a change. He changes direction on them. He changes the calendar. He says this is the seventh month, but now the seventh month is the first month. We're starting over. We're starting fresh. We're starting new, Israel. This month will be the beginning of months for you. And so now, even today, though the Israeli civic calendar begins with the month of Tishri, Nisan marks the beginning of the religious or spiritual calendar. When Nisan hits in Israel today, it's the first month, even though it's the seventh month in the calendar, because that's when God revealed a brand new direction for the people of Israel. By the way, here in these verses, this is also the first time in the Bible that Israel is called a congregation. Which I think is interesting, because the the Hebrew word there is Adah. Adah means community, but it also means testimony. And when you put those two together, that's what Israel has been, is, and will be. Not only a community, but also a testimony. Their very existence testifying to the greatness and the grandeur and the glory of God. It's the same thing for the church, gang. That we are not just a community, not just a fellowship. We are also a testimony. How we live, how we love, how we behave together, whether it's here in the workplace, in our homes, it testifies to that which we believe. I believe in Jesus and so my life becomes my testimony. And people will see Jesus as much as I am testifying to him in the life that I live. Now, back to the month idea here though. The month the Passover happens is not only it is not the only time that is in history when the Lord changed the calendar. There was another time when the calendar got dramatically impacted, dramatically affected With Thanksgiving behind us, the door is open, as Selena said a few minutes ago, to the Christmas season. When the whole world celebrates an historic miracle, John 1.14 tells us the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has seen God at any time, John says in verse 18. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father has explained Him. And I want you to recognize this, that when Jesus came into the world the calendar was divided which shouldn't surprise us if god were to enter the world wouldn't you would think wouldn't you think it would have a big impact on things and in fact it did it divided the calendar bc ad bc before christ everything prior to jesus existence walking on planet earth is before christ everything after ad anno domini meaning the year of our lord And when you come to Christ, He gives new direction to you. And everything that happened before you were saved, everything before I found salvation, before I came to Christ, that's before Christ. That's my B.C. life. And that life has no bearing on me now because Christ has now come into my life. So now I live A.D. in the year of our Lord. Now there have been other attempts to change the calendar. In 1793, for example, during the French Revolution, the French attempted to change the seven-day week into a ten-day week. Well, why would they do that? It was to eradicate both the Jewish Sabbath and the Christian Sunday. But it failed to work. Kind of like a French fry. It doesn't really do anything for me. Now, I mention this because the Bible tells us there will also be a future attempt to change the calendar. God changed the calendar when He gave it to Israel and said, this is going to be the first of months, the beginning of months for you. He also changed the calendar when He came as Jesus, God in the flesh, Emmanuel, into B.C. and A.D. But there's going to be a future time when someone else will attempt to change the calendar. The Bible speaks of a coming world ruler referred to as the son of perdition. He's also called the man of lawlessness, the beast, and antichrist. And Daniel, chapter 7, verse 25, is Hayden okay here? What's the deal? Does he need to go out? Or is we... Okay. We'll put the shoes on, and we'll head on out, and I'll get back to it. I mean, be it for me to interrupt. <laughs> well, we'll see in a few minutes, son.
1: Okay,
0: where were we? In Leviticus or something? Where are we? I know.
1: <laughs>
0: Sometimes you just wonder are we ever going to get through it? Okay, let's get back now about the calendar change that Jesus is the way that Jesus gives direction in our lives and that when Jesus came into the world he changed the calendar. That's the impact that he had. A much greater more eternal impact but even non-believers in the world have got to recognize and focus on the BCAD phenomenon that was caused by Jesus. Antichrist Antichrist will attempt to change the calendar as well. Daniel chapter 7 verse 25 says he will speak out against the Most High and wear down the saints of the highest one. And he will intend to make alterations in times and in law. And they will be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. That's three and a half years. I'll explain that another time. But the court will sit for judgment and his dominion will be taken away, annihilated and destroyed forever. This coming world ruler that the Bible speaks much about, not just in the book of Revelation, by the way, but in many other places, will attempt to change the calendar. Why? To eradicate the Sabbath and to remove the Christian Sunday to try to take Christ out of all forms of expression on the face of the earth 1 John chapter 2 verse 18 says children it is the last hour and just as you have heard that antichrist is coming even now many antichrists have appeared from this we know that it is the last hour Down in chapter 4 of 1 John He says in verse 3 Every spirit that does not confess Jesus Is not from God This is the spirit of Antichrist And 2 John chapter 1 verse 7 Tells us for many deceivers Have gone out into the world Those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ As coming in the flesh This is the deceiver and Antichrist And even today in the world in which we live There are movements in the so called Intellectual community To change the calendar You may be familiar with this. If you were to go to Israel today and look at their calendar system, it would be different than ours. They work on a 360-day year as opposed to 365. They also don't have a calendar that reads 2004 like ours would. If you looked at Israel's calendar today, it would read 5765. Because Israel attempts to trace all the way back to creation what year they're actually in. However, Israel does use the English calendar when they're dealing with people in the world, outside of Israel. And how do they use that calendar? Well, they would refer to today as 2004, but they wouldn't call it AD. They would call it, they would call it CE, Common Era. The Common Era, 2004 CE. And BC is substituted with BCE before Common Era so you see this is the common era and that before the common era and what divides it certainly not Christ for to the Jew Christ has not yet arrived Messiah has not come But what's interesting to me is that many of our colleges and universities and our think tanks are now requiring students to do the same on term papers and in theses. Our intellectual community is following this idea of common era and before common era and it's all a common error. They're missing the point. And you may say, well, Rick, okay, big deal. So it's just dates and calendars and what's that got to do with Jesus and the Passover game? It's a wholesale and very subtle denial of the person of Jesus. Which is what we see happening happening in culture today. Let's remove the Ten Commandments wherever we can. Let's make sure prayer does not happen in the public schools. Let's take out Jesus in any way, shape, or form. Certainly, let's not celebrate Christmas. It's winter season. It's now winter break instead of Christmas break. And I know that some of you hear me go off on things like this and think, well, okay, Rick, relax. It's just the world that we live in. It's not that big a deal. Dang, it is a big deal because the direction our culture is headed and the world is headed today is undermining the only name that can save us. Without Jesus Forget it Remove Christ from the equation And we have no hope So the subtle movement of CE and BCE And not Christmas but winter holidays All of this stuff Is a subtle move of Satan To try and remove Christ As much as possible from the picture And you may say Yeah but Rick I'm a Christian I believe in Jesus Not a big deal Still very big deal It's a huge deal because there are many people who are not Christians and the less they hear the name the less likely they're going to find salvation because Jesus says there is no other name by which you may be saved it is the name of Jesus let me ask you this morning what direction are you headed Where are you going? Revelation chapter 1 verse 8. Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Who is and who was and who is to come the Almighty. Christ our Passover is the way to the Father. He determines direction. And we either believe in Him and head the direction of the Father. Or we do not believe in Him and we head opposite from the Father. But Christ is the only one who can save us. And so as we see these calendar changes happening and God making an important moment here that this is going to be the beginning for you in the same way when you come to Christ you find a new beginning. And He changes your direction. Jesus said, I am the way. I'm the way. And he is the way to go. Well, verse 3. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month they are each one to take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's household. A lamb for each household. Now, if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest to his house are to take one of them to the number, according to the number of persons in them. According to what each one, each man should eat, you are to divide the lamb. And your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or for the goats. You shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. And then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Before we go on, a little tidbit of prophecy for you prophecy students who like this kind of thing. Let me ask you this question. How long from the point that they take the lamb to the point that the lamb is sacrificed? How many days here? What we just read. Four days. Take it on the tenth, sacrifice it on the fourteenth. Fourteen minus ten, you got four days. Peter said this, he said in 2 Peter 3.8, Do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. Now I've shared this, and this is an opinion that I have. You may not agree, and that's fine. But I have a feeling that the seven days of creation represent, they're in short form, a picture of the history of the world. That each one of the days represents a thousand years. Not that they happened, but they were one day, 24 hour periods, I believe, that the world was created. But in a similar fashion, the world at this point, if you follow the biblical reckoning, would be right around 6,000 years old. Approaching day 7, approaching the thousand year, which would, the Bible indicates, be the millennium, that time of rest. That time of peace. And what is it that God did on the seventh day? He rested. He was at peace. He had the Sabbath. But what happened around the fourth day? At the 4,000 year mark, right at that time, that was when Jesus was crucified. That was when Jesus became our Passover. Four days of the world had gone by, if you're looking at 1,000 year segments. 4,000 years when Jesus was crucified. Interesting, just thought I'd throw that out to you. But Jesus said, I am the way, which is direction. And he also said, I am, secondly, the truth, which is inspection. Christ, our Passover, invites inspection. History tells us that it was the 10th of Nisan when Jesus entered entered Jerusalem. On the 10th of Nisan. And he was killed on the 14th of Nisan, just like the Passover lamb. During that, that time, from the 10th day to the 14th day, was the inspection period. And that's exactly what happened to Jesus when He came to Jerusalem. You remember the story? He rode in on the donkey. And
1: immediately,
0: day after day after day, He was attacked. He was scrutinized. He was inspected by the religious authorities. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes. They came after Him. They hid their lawyers after Him. Luke 11.53 tells us that the scribes and Pharisees began to be very hostile and to question Him closely on many subjects. Plotting against Him to catch Him in something He might say they were inspecting the Passover lamb and they didn't even know it inspection but his detractors couldn't find a single fault or flaw in Jesus and when you read through the narrative it's so cool to see what he does Matthew 26.41 just an example here tells us while the Pharisees were gathered together Jesus asked them a question he said what do you think about the Christ whose son is he And they said to him, The son of David. Of course, that's what the scriptures had described. And he said to them, Well then, how does David in the spirit call him Lord? Saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. If David calls him Lord, how is he his son? I love this verse. No one was able to answer him a word. Nor did anyone dare from that day on to ask him another question. They went after him. They inspected him. They scrutinized him. But he finally answered them so well that they just kind of stood there and went, We're done. Inspected. Flawless. Perfect. Christ, our Passover lamb, was the perfect lamb. He met the inspection. He was unblemished. Matthew 24 or 27, verse 4 Judas, Judas the betrayer, said, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. Pilate the judge in John 19, 4 and 6, two times he said, I find no guilt in him. I don't find any reason to punish this man. Pilate's confused. He can't figure out why do you guys hate him so much? Why do you want him dead? There's nothing wrong with him. The condemned thief on the cross, Luke 23, 41, tells us, this man has done nothing wrong. Nothing wrong. In Mark 15.39 in an amazing statement, the Roman centurion who would have been in charge of the crucifixion said after the fact, truly, this man was the Son of God. There was no spot, no blemish to be found on Jesus. And Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1.18, You were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Jesus invites inspection. Go ahead. Check him out. Inspect him. Question him. Look at his words. Challenge his thoughts take him on you will discover as so many before you have that he is spotless he is perfect he is unblemished C.S. Lewis one of the greatest theologians of the last century was an agnostic who doubted his way to faith in Jesus John Clayton, another man that I'm familiar with, was a devout atheist scientist. And he set out in his life to disprove Christ. To disprove the existence of God. He now goes around the world teaching and training people. And he has a a website called DoesGodExist.com where all he talks about is the scientific evidences and proof of God's existence. That Jesus was the Christ, is the Christ, the Son of God. Or what about another man some of you have heard of, Lee Strobel? Lee Strobel, who has written several books recently, he was an agnostic reporter who asked the hard questions, inspected Jesus, and came to faith in Jesus. He wrote books like The Case for Christ, The Case for Faith. And now on PAX TV he hosts a show called Faith Under Fire where he goes through and and tries to help people see with a reporter's mind who Christ is that he is the unblemished, perfect, spotless Lamb of God. He invites inspection. What other God does that? Does Allah invite inspection? Check me out. See if I am who I say I am. No!
1: Say the wrong thing, and you're dead.
0: Some of the closest followers of Allah in the religion of Islam were scared to death that even after all they had done for Allah at the end of their life, he might just change his mind and send them to hell. What kind of a God is that? Jesus says, Inspect me. Because what you will find is I am flawless. Perfect. The unblemished lamb. But after inspecting Jesus, He wants you to take another step. He wants you to go further than that. He said, I am the way. I'll give you direction. I am the truth. Check me out. Watch me. Understand me. Scrutinize me. And you will know the truth. But He also says, I am the life. I am the life. Number three in your notes, Christ our Passover arouses affection. He arouses affection. Listen to this, and this is interesting to me, as you think about what went on for Israel and the Passover lamb. For four days, they had that little lamb. Now, for the father, his role was inspection. He was inspecting, checking out, making sure over this period of time that the lamb was spotless and good to be used for the sacrifice. What about the kids in the household? On an annual basis a Jewish kid would go out with dad and bring the lamb into the house. And for 4 days they would have the little lamb, fluffy, cute, doing funny things, jumping on the sofa, you know, eating dad's hats, strange little things, cute little things, and the family would become attached to the lamb. This sweet little creature. They feed it and play with it. And you might be thinking, well, that's just cruel. I mean, it's one thing to go out and slaughter the animal, you know. And the Gilmores had a cow out here, and that thing's history. We now know where the beef is. But I'm telling you something, and I've known them a while now, the cow was not in the house. People didn't play with the cow. It the fit. It was actually a good thing they took care of it, because it was a noisy beast. Annoying. <laughs> For the last couple months of his life, don't kill me, please! But the lamb, the lamb—it was brought into the family, it was cared for, and for a child, how can you understand this idea of, Dad, we gotta kill it? We have to take it out, and, and it's like the time I went—I made my kids watch Old Yeller. What a mistake that was! They're still crying about it in their sleep. I'll go in and hear Hannah go, No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. You become attached to this thing. And you might say, Well, that's not really fair. Why would God do that? It's brutal. You bring them in, you make the kids get attached to them, and then you slaughter them. What's going on here? Does it have to get so personal? Yes, it does. That's absolutely the point. That Christ our Passover arouses affection. Selena could barely get through the last part of the communion meditation this morning. Why? Because Christ our Passover arouses affection. Because we love Him so much. And the more we love Him, the more tragic the death. The more attached to Him, the more difficult it is to really sit down and think about Jesus on the cross. The more painful that love is becomes why does it have to be so hard the crucifixion of Jesus is not just an impersonal gesture by a distant God to cover some sin folks God chose to go about saving us in the most personal way that he could possibly do so to convey his love for us Jesus said greater love has no one than this that one lay down his life for his acquaintances no, friends. Greater love has no one than this. Then he laid down his life for his subjects. No, it's friends. Greater love has no one than this. Then he lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus invites that kind of affection. That kind of closeness. That kind of walk. You hear people using the phrase, Oh, it's my walk with Christ. That gets so detached When it was first used, this idea of a walk with Christ, it was the idea of walking with your friend, being with him, sharing your life, your world with him, and understanding how great the Father's love was for us that he would sacrifice this one and only son. Yeah, it was difficult for the kids to sacrifice the Passover lamb. How much more so for us to recognize the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. You might notice an interesting progression in our text here. In verse 3, the lamb is referred to as a lamb. A lamb for each household and in Exodus chapter 4, 12 verse 4 the lamb is now called the lamb it was a lamb choose a lamb but now it's the lamb because Jesus is more than just a lamb he is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world but he wants you to go further still a lamb the lamb verse 5 he says your, your lamb your lamb shall be an unblemished male a year old go find a lamb bring the lamb and he will become your lamb. Jesus wants to be your lamb. Personally. Gang for a dead and lifeless heart, Jesus arouses affection. And you can't follow Jesus without falling in love with him. You can't do it. If you aren't finding yourself falling in love with Jesus, i got to ask you, are you following him? Do you know him? Have you spent time with him? Because it's a natural outgrowth of the relationship you have with Christ. The more you know Him, the more you love Him. And also, you can't fall in love with Him without being com- without becoming a lover of other people as well. You can't do it. The more you love Christ, the more you want to love other people. Because Jesus arouses affection. Christ, our Passover, is the way. He determines our direction. He is the truth who invites our inspection. And He's the life who arouses affection. I want to show you one last thing and we'll stop this morning. Look at verse 6. You shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. And then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. To kill it at twilight. And you might think, well that's just a little weird wording. It should say to kill them at twilight. Because every family had a lamb, Right? Each and every family. This wasn't one lamb that was sacrificed for all Israel at the Passover. It was every family had their own lamb, and every family would sacrifice that lamb. And again, we come to the scriptures and go, "Oh, it's just the awkwardness of the Hebrew language. It's just, you know, that's just. We'll just fix it. Just write it." Okay, or we'll write them instead. Some actual translations say you are to kill them at twilight. Well, the word isn't them. It's very specifically in the Hebrew, it. And though it's awkward, it's, it's actually ignited a debate among Hebrew scholars. Because God commanded this lamb for each household, not just one lamb, but one for every household, the best literal translation, again, is not to kill them at twilight, but to kill it. Why? Why does God refer to a single lamb as opposed to all the lambs that they were killing? Because once again, the Passover was not about all the lambs. It was about a single lamb. It was pointing to the whole entire time the Lamb of God who is Jesus Christ. And I submit to you that maybe we just need to let the Scriptures be the Scriptures. And not try to change the wording so it reads a little easier, but maybe we just need to step back and say, no, what does it say? because right here we see that they are to kill it at twilight now you might say "All right, but Rick there's a problem right there Jesus wasn't killed at twilight he died at 3pm hung on the cross at 9 in the morning and for 3 hours he hung there and then 3 hours of darkness and at the end of that he said it is finished and he died and that was not twilight he totally missed it twilight would have been the night before wouldn't it how does that work how does it figure once again the word of God doesn't read twilight The word there is between the evenings. That the Lamb was to be sacrificed between the evenings. Which is exactly when Jesus was crucified. Christ our Passover. Who said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. Christ our Passover. Christ our Passover. Let's pray. Holy Father there is so much so much to see in these scriptures that point us to Jesus and it's my hope Father that uh, that this morning we will all have been pointed in that direction Father there are some here this morning who need their lives to be turned in the direction of Christ and I pray that you will by any means necessary change direction there are some of us Father who we believe in you but we're walking away but we're walking in a distance we're taking a kind of a side path a rabbit trail and we're heading away Father we need you to change our direction in the way of Jesus God there are some here who are skeptical Cynical Who look at the whole Christianity thing And they think Well you know that's that's one system of belief But Father we need you To invite them to inspection I want to pray specifically Father if there's anyone here Who is cynical about Jesus today That you will put a burden on their heart To inspect Christ To look at him to take the time to question Him and scrutinize His behavior, His words, His thoughts. And in so doing, Father, to come to a relationship with Jesus. Holy Father,
1: my assumption this
0: morning is though some need a change in direction. Some need to be invited to inspection. We all, we all need to have the affection aroused in our hearts. To stop and consider the depth of your love for us, the passionate love of a Passover lamb named Jesus. To be so moved by what you did, Lord Jesus, that we could move no other direction but towards you. You are the very life just the reason for life Lord you are life in and of itself and we want to live for you and I pray this for this fellowship that we will be a people who live for you following in your direction sharing in the inspection but Lord a people who are aroused by affection for their God The God who loved us so much that he sent his only begotten son That whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.